calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, my regularly occurring interview series where I have the privilege of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the gaming industry. Uh, today, my guest is Hakan Abrek. He is the CEO and co-owner of IO Interactive. They are fresh off of a big hit in Hitman 3, one of 2021's biggest games already. Hakan, welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for uh, having me here. It is a pleasure. I, as, I, uh, as I started to research you and, and sort of learn more about you, you've had a wonderful career story large, pretty much at I.O. And, and, but before I kind of get to that, I actually wanted to start. I could not find this on the Internet, and maybe uh, everybody listening is going to think this is dumb. Maybe this is widespread knowledge that I just don't have. But what does the studio name mean? What is I.O.? I couldn't spell it. I couldn't find it. There's there's a bird that's spelled I.O., but pronounced E.O., and then there's, like, input-output. So is there right. a story there? Well, I mean, um, there are a lot of uh, myths about what it is. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been with I.O. for more than 14 years now, but I'm not a part of the uh, the founders. And uh, when you ask them, still know, know uh, most of them, right? When I ask them, it's like... Uh, you know, they don't even remember themselves why or what it was. Uh, you know, input-output is a good guess. Uh, another one is, uh, you know, planets, I.O. and, right. you know, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, they're having they're having fun with uh, being a bit, uh, I guess, uh, secretive uh, around that. Uh, so, but uh, honestly, I, I don't, there's not, not a clear, like, this is it. So, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, I guess that's kind of IGN's the same way. So some people, it used to be like Imagine Games Network way back in the day because that was the old parent company. So I can I can relate to that. Maybe someday you guys will, will make like a, a little anniversary video and tell us all, the founders will tell us all what it really means. And we'll get so, together with the founders and we'll figure figure it out or, or some good uh, Danish beer. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> when all this is over, which uh, we've got the light at the end of the tunnel here. So I'll, I'll take you up on that. Now... You specifically, you mentioned you've been there a long time. So you joined IO in 2006. And what I think is really interesting about you, you didn't just come in as the CEO of, of the studio. You've held a number of roles <laughs> in that time. 
You're the tech department producer. You're a multiplayer producer on Kanan Lynch 2, executive producer on Hitman Absolution, executive producer of the R&D department, studio production director, head of studio, and now CEO and co-owner. Uh, you've really worked your way up, which, which I respect the hell out of. I mean, you're not just a suit in a boardroom with a silver spoon in your mouth making you know, major decisions for, for, you know, hundreds of, of employees. I mean, you are making those decisions, but you're, you're doing it in, coming from a place of having worked alongside them. You've gotten your hands dirty. So to you, how, how important has that perspective been for you as you have now assumed the role of studio leadership? I think it's a, I think it's a very, very important part, um, like point. And, uh, I think, um, you know, whatever, as you said, starting from uh, as a as a tech producer, uh, and um, looking at the the things that you have to do as a CEO in terms of you know the business side side of things, I think it gives it gives you um, um, you know more credibility. Uh, as you said, it's not only a, a person in a suit, but uh, you know uh, I've I've done my time in production uh, over the years. So I, I think it gives a bit more credibility, both for you know talking to business part partners, um, but I think the greatest um, um, benefit of this, I would say, is that um, I have I have a great like relationship to people in the studio, and I think um, you know when you ask for some extraordinary things when you ask people for to do something above and beyond uh, it it does help that you tried that yourself on your own body right that you have some of those battle scars and you know what it means you know well we can we can push a bit more here or like you know th th this thing is not good for the team you know let's let's be mindful about this and that so i have i think i have because i've been there myself uh, i have a really good feeling for both um you know, the art of developing games uh, and uh, also the credibility of being a game developer uh, when, when we talk to partners. So the studio itself has been on a hell of a ride uh, over, the, the, over the years, which you've been there for, for most of, of that. It's, uh, a tr you know, many, a number of transformations. And, you know, the, so the studio has been very successful since spinning off into its own independence uh, some years back, I'm curious. Have since since uh, you guys parted ways with Square Enix, have any other publishers called you since you guys became a you know free agent, as it were, to to try and acquire you? Because you guys went out on your own with Hitman and and proved it all over again. So I gotta wonder if if any of the other big boys knocked on your door. Sure, I mean, um, um, you know, IO. IO has 20 years plus history of making games and uh, making high quality games. And we, we, already, we also created four original IPs from ground up. So with that reputation, of course, uh, there were uh, other companies and publishers and whatnot uh, contacting us. Um, and, you know, to be completely frank and, and honest, there were times where, where you know, just to put things in perspective, I think I mentioned that before in, in, in different interviews, but uh, when we went independent, we literally had three months of cash flow before we had to kind of, uh, you know, uh, close close shop, right? And um, so there were times where 
it was close at at in, in some scenarios where we'd be like, okay, we have to we have to find an investor or we have to kind of go with this. Um, but we really, you know, the vision we had, you know, taking the risk with doing an MBO, uh, the vision we had for uh, Hitman 2016, um, we always we knew that we built a platform where it wasn't just about you know the performance, sell performance, the first three months or six months. We knew we were in for a marathon. We built this uh, platform where we could have this long-lasting relationship with our fans and build a community. And it wasn't like in the old days where you're used to with Hitman, like the first six months, it would be like 80% of lifetime sales kind of thing, right? So it, it was a it was a slow um, slow starter that way. But the, the different instances we had, like the life ele- elements that we have planned, we believed that those would be impactful. And it just... Um, so we, so we kept, you know, we uh, uh, the team and the management. We 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 believed initiatives would be impactful, and we we um, we kept being a bit resilient with these. Uh, some of them, some of the offers were really really attractive, right? And it would have been easy in many ways. But uh, I think at that point we were like, you know, we really we really need to we need just like uh, OIO to try to do this. Um, ourselves and uh, you know the institutes not only did work uh, it just went above and beyond all our expectations uh, so so we lived another day and uh, another day and another year and then uh, you know went from strength to strength today which you know it's it's absolutely amazing you know it's pretty rare that that a major publisher that had acquired you years before in, in this case IDOS which became Square Enix uh, would would let you walk away, and especially while keeping your arguably most valuable intellectual property to boot in the form of Hitman. So I, I'm just curious. This is what this show is all about. I love kind of seeing the in, inner works of things. Were you in the room for those discussions with Square of, of how the the separation was going to occur, and what was that period's what was that period of the company's histories like uh, from the inside? Well, I mean, every day was uh, was a new adventure, right? Like every day was, um, <clears throat> we didn't know what's going to happen, and I was uh, very much in there in in those talks and discussions. Um, you know, the plan was there were several plans. Uh, one of them was to divest IO, um, and uh, I think the MBO wasn't really the first kind of option that came to mind. Uh, but um, as like quickly, we we felt like um, that it meant something what the studio management wanted, like what, what the management from IO wanted, right? Like uh, it's, it, it, you know, there are almost 200 people. There's a lot of running cost for a company like that. So anyone who would consider to buy IO would obviously uh, would need to be convinced by what I and the rest of the studio management wanted to do. Right, and uh, so quickly it became a um, third-party discussions, right, with whoever uh, different parties who came in and, and discussed things. And you know, to the point I said before, we were really, you know, there there are different models um, that were discussed about, you know, turning turning IO into a different kind of company, which maybe would have worked, maybe wouldn't, but it wasn't like what we were burning for. It wasn't like what we were like. Um, envisioning for IO's future. And um, so, you know, there were points where I was like, okay, if, if it's going to save people's um, jobs, 
I'm okay at doing this and just walking away if 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 I believed that it would have been a good thing for IO, if I believed that it would have been something that that um, would would you know both be uh, true to our uh, history, but also put IO in a position where it could keep being this powerhouse of creating new worlds, new characters, new IPs. Um, and I wasn't all that convinced with a lot of these different uh, uh, discussions uh, back then. And, um, you know, slowly we were talking about whether there's another way, right? I mean, Square Enix, as you said, is a, is a, it's a bit of an unusual situation, but uh, Square Enix back then were, they were heavily missing in uh, Marvel uh, deal they, they made. Uh, now, obviously, <clears throat> Avengers came out. Meanwhile, and uh, and also you know between the Montreal studio and the uh, and the San Francisco studio, um, so they had a lot of investments going on. And as we talked about with the episodic model on Hitman 2016, it was a disappointing start. Uh, like commercially, it was it was really really bad. So so uh, you know I could understand that they were looking at uh, you know. They also don't have unlimited money, obviously, and they were looking at okay, how how can we um, go on in the West with the investments in in the States and and Montreal, and and how can we maybe like look for opportunities with with with, uh, with Iron Tractor? So I like I've said that many times. I have no absolutely no bad feelings with Square Enix. Uh, actually, they've been they've been amazing uh, and in this whole process and very like transparent and uh, transparent and, and direct, um, you know, honest. So we were presenting different models where we would say, okay, like, what if, and this is what we believe in, right? This is the model where IO, like, we'll take responsibility if IO goes down, like the bankrupt, it will be on us. And, um, you know, we believe the best path forward is, you know, what we presented to, uh, to Square Enix, right? And, um, you know, they got, they got a, <clears throat> a small, you know, minority share with them. Uh, right, so which you know back then was a was a gamble for them, you could say. Uh, but today, it it you know looking back, it's uh, it was maybe a good choice. It uh, it seems like it's paying off for them as well. So um, so that's 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 how how it ended. And and actually, like it every day there was new discussions and new opportunities and new alleys that that avenues that this this could turn. But uh, but at the end, uh, we we got Square Enix convinced. Uh, and uh, that that this this would be the right thing for for our interactive, and then we went for it. Well, I have a couple of follow-ups here because this is this is see this is super interesting to me. Like, I mean, number one, how, how did you convince them to let you keep Hitman? Because I you know that is arguably the most attractive and valuable thing that IO has has built thus far, and it's uh, most major you know big fish big shark publishers are not. <laughs> They don't usually let IP walk away with a studio that they're parting ways with like that. Usually they hang on to those IPs. So is there sort of what, what's, can you talk, talk a little bit more about how yeah. Hitman got uh, retained specifically? Cause it's, it's fascinating to me. Well, I, I think there's a number of reasons that was discussed before and I can only guess what they were uh, thinking. Um, but, you know, I was definitely arguing for why um, Hitman and IO is, you know, pretty much synonymous with with each other, and you know they were obviously also in the know in in what we built with Hitman. So it was not only a game. Uh, the episodic uh, release was only the start of something 
that would evolve over time. I mean, the main thing wasn't the episodic, really. It was uh, that it was an ever-expanding universe they were creating. So Hitman 2 and 3, the trilogy, is actually a connected universe, right? So uh, if you buy Hitman 3, you can have Hitman 1 and 2 in, in it, like in, in the menus, like starts from Paris and to the last location, Hitman 3. So they knew that uh, if IO was to, you know, the vision, the vis vision that we were betting on, and if IO was to succeed, um, you know, and their uh, again their lottery ticket. If that was to have a chance to to uh, in increase in value, then you know probably would be with with Hitman and we, the platform we built. That's one thing. And I think the other thing is uh, again back to uh, Hitman being synonymous with with IO. I think like one of the things that that we are very very proud of, and I think it's one of the core competences of, of IO as a studio is uh, the way we make like our simulations in our locations, the level design, the AI, and all these wor working together in, a, in an immensely complex way. And I think- um, Sandbox I think, is, is, yeah, is, is always been special. Exactly. And I, and I think also, uh, you know, the idea of just taking Hitman and as an IP and say, well, we're just gonna give it to another studio. I don't think that's very, I don't think that's easy. Uh, so um, so the talent, it's not only the IP, the IP is extremely valuable. And uh, IP, I, I think today it's even more valuable uh, over the, you know, last, after the last four or five years now. But I think uh, the people who made Hitman and who knows Hitman are equally, uh, if not more valuable. And then you also mentioned uh, one thing I wanted to follow up on, in in those discussions where you know what was going to happen with IO and the, the separation from the Square and and possibly having to fold in and you know maybe be bought by another company, it sounds like am I sort of interpreting you correctly that it sounds like maybe somebody else would have wanted to pick you up as a and just sort of turn turn IO into a support studio? Is that am I in, am I sort of interpreting that correctly? Because it's you're you're talking about sort of the changing the nature of the studio in a way that you didn't well, feel was going to be the best. Well, um, I, I, you know, I have a lot of opinions about support uh, studios. I, I hope we can talk about that a bit later. But, uh, you know, I think maybe some of them were, were thinking that IO, you know, talent developers, they could be a support studio. But, uh, I mean, there were various different uh, partners that we discussed uh, various different models with. And they all had, you know, their approach to what IO um, should be or look like moving forward. And I'm sure some of them would have worked, but as I mentioned before, it wasn't like um, our uh, what we were burning for, what we believed in. Um, you know, it, it's not only like a support studio, uh, but it could be if you imagine like um, let's just say that um, well, if you let go half of IO and and hire analysts uh, instead uh, and optimize the content, uh, and you know, can we make Hitman free to play or things like that, right? Like uh, which, you know, um, I think future play is it's an um, it, it's very interesting. It's very uh, I think there's some really 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 cool experiences that are fit for that. But but the Hitman we made in 2016 is not one of them. So we wouldn't feel right to to go with a model for that and and turn Hitman 2016 back then into a future play kind of uh, kind of model. So uh, and there were also other you know. You know, ambition was also a thing. Uh, I.O., can you be less ambitious or can you be some somebody else than you are? And uh, while I.O. has always been 
uh, adapting or trying different things from, uh, you know, uh, middle-aged criminals to mini ninjas for kids, uh, you know, uh, and freedom fighters and whatnot. We, we, we are not afraid of trying different things and we are very agile and adaptable. But when that is said, if, if, some, if it's something that our hearts are not beating for or pounding, you know, and we don't believe in that direction, then, uh, then passion and belief is a, is a big thing uh, for us. And uh, mechanical, mechanical work is, is just simply not going to work for us. You, know, you mentioned a minute ago that you you hope we'd talk more about support studios later. So let's do it because I'm kind of curious what you, you clearly have opinions on this. I mean, to me as a as somebody who plays a ton of games and covers games for a living, it boy it really seems like support studios are that that term might almost be even unfair. It's almost like you need that those co development partners more than ever now as games get bigger and more ambitious. So yeah, how how do you feel about about co-development about support studios about about partners and trying to bring your visions to life well i, I think uh, i think it's a huge strength to work with um you know extended teams we've done that before we work with uh, with with sumo and we work with companies in in uh, netherlands and in austria for for many many years and we have fantastic relationship uh, to them back in the days we were outsourcing a lot to you know to china just over the fence outsourcing but for many many years we've kind of treated and build our partners as, as, as extended teams, get got them very proficient with our own engine and whatnot. So I think I think the flexibility, you know, it's, it's not something about like, it's not because of price or saving money. It's it's really about uh, flexibility. Uh, when you need uh, when you need that help, the timing of that, that is very important. And, you know, I would rather have uh, talented people that we respect and that we see as our equals than, than uh, you know, trying to save money. That has been our uh, mentality all the time. But when I said about uh, support studios, it's because like um, we are, when, when we went independent, it was, as I said, we only had three months of cash flow. It was pretty tough things in front of us, pretty tough uh, decisions we had to make. We were 174 people at that time, almost half of the team we had to let go to survive another day. Um, today we are more than 200 people, so we've grown over over the last four four years, and that growth is going to be more exponential moving forward. Um, and the way the way I wanted to grow, um, it you know I, I I changed my thinking around how how to grow uh, studios or or the team. Uh, because I've been with IO back back in the days where I was a producer of one of the projects, and we had like four AAA projects, two engines, three actually, under the same roof, uh, and we were like you know over uh, almost 400 people in in one building. And there's something about the culture there when you have these different projects, and you're you're that many people on the same roof. You know, you create these different subcultures. You create this uh, these you know in some cases I would say. Um, a bit almost like uh, animosity, like uh, like unhealthy uh, competition under the same roof, right? So we, which was a bit of a shame. Um, so I was thinking, like, how can we do that differently? We're going to grow. It's going really well, right? We're doing well. We're going to grow. We have these opportunities. Let's go for it. So how are we going to do that? And there's something called the, uh, the Dunbar number. There's something like uh, around the 140, 150 uh, 
people. Like also, um, I read a book called Sapiens by Havari. I re really recommend that uh, uh, book. It's it's amazing. Um, he also talks about how we can how we build relations and how you know what is the capacity of of having like putting a face on people and feeling like this is a place where I belong and it still feels familiar and doesn't turn into this uh, factory uh, factory kind of uh, factor that we talked about, right? Um, and um, so so the building we live we live in Copenhagen, our studio can easily have three hundred plus people, but we are around one hundred fifty in Copenhagen, and um, we have opened a new studio in Malmo, in, in Sweden is you know, very close by, just on the other side of the bridge. It, it's another country, but we are neighbor country, so it's, it's, it's very close. But the reason for, for, for doing that is because I don't want to be more than 150 people in, in one building. Now, IO can be three, four, five hundred plus people, and millions of people can collaborate over, you know, uh, uh, all over the globe. But there's something about the efficiency and something about fe feeling like belonging uh, that you you lose if you go above that. So Malmo is the same thing. Like it's uh, we are almost fifty people there, and we're going to keep growing there. And uh, you know who knows? Maybe one point soon we'll uh, we'll uh, announce a third third location. So what what I like to say is we are one we're one studio in in different locations. And what what I mean with that? Sorry, there's a lot of talk to get to the support uh, studio part. But no, what I mean great. with that is what I mean with that is like we have. You know, we have 007 that we work on. We have Hitman that we're working on. And maybe we can talk about, uh, or not talk about, but I mentioned we're working on something else as well, something third, uh, something completely new, new, a new IP. And um, and Hitman uh, 3, the game director was working from Malmö, and the executive producer was working from Copenhagen. And it's kind of zigzag. Uh, you know, you could have a lead working from Malmo and and another lead, another domain working from Copenhagen. The point I'm trying to make is that what's important in a, in IO is our projects, and everybody uh, should feel uh, first grade citizens uh, if you're if you're a part of IO. And it doesn't matter if you're Malmo, it doesn't matter if you're in Copenhagen, and it doesn't matter if you're in you know whatever Netherlands or Austria or whatever you are. If you're working. If you're Ionian and working on one of our projects, you might have, you could have a very impactful role. And uh, and there's nothing about like a support studio mentality. Everybody's working on on, on the projects on equal equal terms. And I think, uh, you know, both with the avoiding the factory uh, kind of mentality and having this overarching values the culture we have, but also having giving space for having these local. Um, uh, values under that umbrella value and uh, having that like uh, opportunity to be working as you know impactful roles on whatever project we have regardless of where you are in the world i think those things are very very important and a very important value for us in, in our growth moving forward it's really interesting and I, I would imagine just listening to you uh talk through that I would imagine that the past year with the pandemic has probably only reinforced your thinking there about sort of distributed workflow. And if you have a great candidate that lives somewhere, maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't, you don't have to have 400 people under one roof. Is, is, uh, are, is, is IO sort of becoming more open to, you know, if there's a great, say, uh, programmer in, 
in uh, Canada. Is that you know is is that something that that IO is starting to adapt as well? Is is uh, more teammates around the world? Yeah, I mean, if there are some really really gifted people uh, around the world, we have we have some individuals who are working, uh, you know, in different cities in Europe and, and whatnot uh, that 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 we can work with. But um, and and I'll just want to say that that's true. We were um, both working with you know Sumo, and we we're working with all you know com companies in Austria, and we opened the Malmo studio way before the pandemic started. Right. Uh, so we had some some training in that. Uh, so and uh, so I think in the start when we had to kind of work from home, we were we were very effective. When that is said, uh, over time I would say like after the first three four months. Um, the the cabin fever hits in because although uh, we ha we are very flexible, it's still important to have that like um, the energy you know taking Absolutely. getting some energy giving some energy still being around people the micro alignments uh, are invaluable and it's not only for you know managers it's also in, 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 important for for developers right so we are we are seeing that you know the cabin cabin fevers is definitely kicking in so so i wouldn't say like the our point is not to like have uh 500 people in 500 different homes around the globe uh, but uh, but have these certain size the optimum size as 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 i believe and call it uh, location studios around around the world where they still can get together and still have have a feeling of unity having feeling of identity and and getting energy from 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 each each other right and uh, so i think that's that's the main thing so like i guess with many other people we are also looking forward to uh, getting back into the office yeah, I mean, I can. I think we can all relate on the cabin fever, and even from a game development perspective, you, know, you, you talk about the energy. I mean, how about when you're all trying to do a build review, which you do in the same room together, and everybody's watching the same thing and calling things out and taking notes. That's that's probably one of many many things that, as someone who's not a game developer, I don't have full insight on. But there've got to be a million little things like that 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 are. Uh, Difficult, if not impossible, to replicate in a in a remote scenario. Yeah, I mean, build reviews depends on what phase you are in the production. Like Hitman, I mean, the team is the team is absolutely amazing, and they're kind of they're on their on peak of their game when it comes to building uh, Hitman, right? Like uh, um, I was talking about this connected world between all three games, and it is actually a one executable. So when we introduce new features into Hitman 2 and 3 or visual upgrades, um, those have been retroactively fitted into Hitman uh, 1 and 2 after, you know, with the latest improvements in Hitman 3. So it's, it's kind of a one one executable. And I think, like, the team has been absolutely fantastic. They've, they've been developing and delivering Hitman in pandemic times. Right? We published that ourselves as well, and we it came out on 10 platforms. And both on the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X uh, versions, next-gen versions as well on the Switch as well. So, uh, <clears throat> so that and, and VR as well in pandemic time. So they've been really, really uh, doing great job. But also that, that's also because they, it's almost like saying they know kung fu, they know Hitman, they know how to do that, uh, right? Uh, and, and and been been training on that on journey for the last eight years on that. Um, it's a bit different on other areas. We feel like uh, while we still have, we are having 
like some of the incubation work, some of the you know very explorative R and D work, we do feel that there's uh, it's harder. Like you need the small um, pre-production team to be to be closer uh, and just try things out. Could you just up that with three points? How does it feel for them back? And it's difficult to kind of start a start a teams meeting around each small micro discussion there, right? So we so we feel the impact there. Um, but uh, but Hitman was uh, you know was was um, uh, like a uh, second second nature like uh the, like another sixth sense for them well and the end result showed it i mean you guys you know this is this is why i love the story of of you guys becoming independent and betting on yourselves and now here we are 2021 hitman 3 <laughs> is a uh first let me talk about the critical success uh 87 on metacritic i'm not sure if you really pay attention or, or care about that necessarily but it is a, I mean, we have our own <laughs> issues with, with what Metacritic is and isn't as far as, you know, trying to boil everything down to one number. But, but that does, just in a, as a snapshot, it matches Hitman 2 Silent Assassin as the highest Metacritic rating the series has ever achieved. So I'm curious, during the course of Hitman 3, I mean, did, did you just, is there a point where you know that you've got a, a winner with this one because you mentioned 2016 and the and the reboot not getting off to the great start and then Hitman 2 kind of moving back in the right direction, but did three really is just a, an absolute home run? So where you know did did you know that it was that you you really nailed it? Third time's the charm, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I I think. Um... You ne- you're never you're always nervous, right? I mean, we had a really good feeling. We really felt uh, the the overarching story, the characters, you know, the the the, the closure that we were um, that we are that we were uh, getting to with Hitman Three. We really felt uh, that the characters were coming more front and center, and this conflict uh, was you know was felt was get was was uh, more impactful to the to the player. Um, one of the pillars for Hitman 3 was also uh, in intimacy, and I really feel that the team pulled that out, uh, pulled that off um, perfectly. Um, you know, it's also the first time Diana she's in the game in one of the locations, and you you know you get to play play uh, and and do things together with her, right? So it was much more personal, much more intimate, and the story I think was more uh, relevant and, and impactful to, to the gamers. So those things we, we, we did feel, I mean, one of the reviews, and this is, you know, this is, this is true, there's no bullshit, uh, sorry my language, but uh, one of the reviews, I was literally getting, you know, uh, getting emotional. And it was just, uh, the guys were like, hey, we, we have this build and it's, you know, with Diana and this is gonna happen and, uh, and, um, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm not as close to the production as as I was. I'm having these monthly reviews, right? And uh, one of them, they got this these moments together, and um, I was, you know, I was literally uh, moved. And that's where you feel it, you know. This is this is true. This is something. This this feels genuine. And uh, and at that point, I think that that was the pivotal point where I was like, okay, this is um, not only. The level design, which just kept improving and getting better and better. Not only that, but emotionally connection 
it, it's 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 there. I can feel it, and I'm getting goosebumps when I talk about it right now. So at that moment, I got I got very confident. Uh, I think everybody got more and more confident when those moments got together. Um, but you never know, right? Like um, I remember when we did Absolution. Absolution was a was a different Hitman experience, right? It was a more linear experience, and um, the game, the concept for that game, when it came out, like when when the pre-production was happening, it was like you know inspirations from Max Payne and and, and uh, games like that. Uh, but just because we we're doing a new engine, like a new upgrade, major upgrade on the engine, it took way too long to do that game. And uh, when it came out, it just felt like the uh, open world or sandbox games were in again. And mm -hmm. it felt just uh, wrong or different, you know, for a lot of hardcore fans, I'm very proud of the game. But uh, but as a game, but I I understand the fans were like, okay, you know, this is not the Hitman they wanted. And after that, we were like, uh, you know, it had been when we did Hitman 2016, it had been like ten years where we haven't done a, 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 like a classic Hitman sandbox uh, level, right? And our fans were like, you know, do they still have the ability to do a, a Hitman game, right? Th those were the kind of questions. And Blood Money was always like pulled, like mentioned, like. This is the best Hitman game. This, they're never going to top that. Um, so yeah, with the episodic, there were some bumps on the road with the episodic model, but it was pretty clear from the get-go that the levels, you know, Paris, Sapienza, that there were there were something special. And you know, I, I tend to say the Danish fairy tale story about Octa Duckling and turning into a beautiful swan. That that journey we already had along with with Hitman One uh, during the episodes, right? So. Um, you know, and just 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 perfecting perfecting that over the years. I think um, I think um, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, that's been. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty amazing. And I love, too, that you, on the commercial success side, you talk about how at one point you had three months of runway left and, and uh, that Hitman 2016 didn't do nearly as well as, as you'd hoped and that, uh, you know, you were the models of, oh, you know, doing 80% of, of your business in the first six months are kind of uh, changing. But then we come to Hitman 3, which, as I said, critical success. And then commercially, uh, you come out and announce that Hitman 3 is profitable in a week. So one, do you throw some sort of virtual party for the team <laughs> at that to celebrate that moment? and and did that exceed your expectations? I mean, I would imagine so, but I'm sort of curious, like, was that just like, was that a big surprise that it was that commercially successful that quickly? 
It was. I can honestly say that it was, you know, above our uh, sales budgets planned. Um, like Hitman One, it took four years for it to recoup all its costs, right? Wow. And um, and uh, you know, shorter with Hitman Two, uh, but Hitman Three definitely, like historically, I, I we've never, you know, I think we've never released a game that recouped our uh, costs that quickly. And it just, um, you know, it's a kind of a double double impact on the you know pat yourself on the shoulder factor right with with the team uh doing an amazing game and uh, and this is this is hitman 3 we are publishing ourselves and as a publisher also to do better than what hitman 1 and hitman 2 did with with other publishers right um so you know we are extremely proud and uh, i think the right word i'm like the right word for it is, uh, you know, extremely grateful. Uh, and to look to your point, whether Metacritic means something, you know, I agree. It's it's difficult to kind of cook those things down to a number, um, whether you're looking at op open critic or Metacritic, whatnot. But it, but it does mean because that, that means something, right? That is what we have. And uh, like from a professional pride, it, it it means a lot. And when we 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 um, we had a huge studio meeting in, in Teams, right? The whole studio was locked onto Teams, and uh, when the embargo was lifted, we refreshed the uh, you know Open Critic and Metacritic sites, and they were just starting to trickle in, uh, like kind of a catch-up effect, right? Or like uh, you know, if you had a low one, you're waiting for ah, I hope uh, you know big you know higher ones are gonna come and whatnot, right? And uh, when it was in the high spot, you were like, I hope it's not gonna drop, uh, kind of thing, right? So. It was amazing, and that meeting, like this, is when we launched. Uh, you know, before we launched, uh, before twentieth uh, January, that meeting is still active. Uh, so it's called in Teams. It's called uh, pre pre launch. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Metacritic uh, meeting kind of thing, right? Uh, it's it's called that, and and that is still ongoing, where people are still posting things. You know when we do a roadmap and there's another article or some community uh, <clears throat> community uh, fun fun things and whatnot so they're still posting things there and uh, and it's, it's still active like it's still uh, as i speak to you now things are popping up in, mm -hmm. in teams right like uh, so but that's pretty amazing and of course we're looking forward to having a uh, a fantastic party and uh, when we get together at one point when you know hopefully when the world turns a bit more normal again but until then we kind of have a have a window into each other through this uh, to this meeting that just uh, keeps keeps going and makes us uh, really happy. So you know, again, grateful, absolutely grateful, absolutely smashing, um, fantastic, and uh, you know, uh, commercially keeps going well. Uh, and apart from this game itself being success, it it does tons for IO. Right? We took a great risk. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to get a partner uh, after Hitman 2 that we proved that we can do fantastic game, keeping the consistency, consistency, the quality, and uh, you know the momentum and the strength and the and the stability we had. It would have been the easiest thing to get a partner for Hitman 3. But again, just like when we went uh, independent, um, you know, who dares wins? We went for it. Uh, we took some big risks, uh, and um, even with pandemic times, and said, you know, what we're we gonna we're gonna spend our money 
our cash flow and going for it. And, uh, and that's because we did believe, we did believe that we know Hitman best and we know our community, our gamers, our fans best. And uh, we just wanted to both create and give this game to our fans directly unplugged, unfiltered. And uh, it turns out uh, it was uh, it was a good thing. Well, yeah, you bet again. You bet on yourselves, and you reap the well-deserved rewards. I I love the story of of IO and this game specifically. Now, kind of, you mentioned the release date. It came out in late January. There, in hindsight, you could have never planned for it. But do you feel like you kind of lucked out in a, in a sense? With again, not to take anything away from the quality of the game, the success of the game, but but do you feel like you kind of lucked out with the release date as, you know, Hitman 3 is really the first big game of 2021 after two, I, I would say, pretty quiet next-gen console launches overall. I, I, I feel like you guys were in a great spot if people were just wanting a new qual- high-quality AAA experience and, and you provided that in a, in a time when there really wasn't too much else. Absolutely. I mean, um, I keep saying from from the get go, our our success is uh, is a mix mixture of of skill. I think we have that. Uh, something about timing, like uh, like agility, uh, and uh, and the last thing is luck. There's always a, a factor of luck in this business as well, right? So you bet on something and it doesn't turn out like that, or something happens and turns out like that. I think one thing that we were uh, very adamant with was that like hitman has has always like hitman has a very very um core and loyal fan base um but it's not necessarily like everybody's cup of tea right it's not like um um you know uh it's maybe not uh, approachable like uh, call of duty for example uh, a game like that would be right um because it's 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 it still has it's still unique. It's still different. You know, it's not like the best way of playing Hitman is not necessarily just uh, pulling out your gun and shooting, right. shooting way through, right? Yeah. So, uh, so games it's, have never necessarily been super mainstream, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I've always, throughout, you know, as as we talked about before, I've been with IO almost fifteen years, and over the years, I've always been like, you know, okay, we spent these crazy amount of marketing money in a window where, you know. Classic, classical uh, box products around Christmas or uh, around March, you know, these fiscal year uh, times. There's a lot of titles coming out in, in, in those uh, periods. And, and Hitman, you know, came out in those windows. Like Hitman Absolution came out in November. Uh, Hitman um, 2016 was out in March. And uh, Hitman 2 came out in November as well, uh, 18. And I was for the longest time, like uh, betting on. I, I think January. I think January uh, is a great, great month, like for these uh, big uh, games. Uh, I think Hitman is great big as well. But all this Slugfest around Christmas and March, like I think there's a very great window for for Hitman to come out in January. And you know, it just panned out really well with new new consoles and you know that we actually could in time make a really good 
PlayStation, you know, next gen versions as well for that. So obviously that that helped as well. So I think there's a lot of, uh, as they say in uh, Jerry Maguire, that old movie. There's a, there's a quan moment. A lot of things kind of get got together, and uh, it just fit and was perfect timing. So yeah, I mean, a part of it was was planning. A part of it uh, was um, some luck, I would say. And uh, and uh, you know, we are here today and performing more than two hundred percent compared to what Hitman 1 and 2 was uh, was was doing in the indie spirit. So that's fantastic. You know, I, we we talked about stealth games there just in general for a second. You're, I, this makes me want to ask you, you know, you're in control of your own destiny. IO is an independent studio. When you see that, that Metal Gear Solid is effectively dead, at least for the time being, Splinter Cell hasn't been seen in a long, long time. Thief hasn't been seen in a long, long time. Uh, you're... Hitman's kind of it for like a big budget AAA caliber stealth game. Is that is that a good thing for you guys or is that like do you wish that there was there were some other, you know, rising tide lifts all boats in the stealth genre? I'm sort of mm. curious how you feel about that. Well, I mean, I think I know a lot of people are saying Hitman is a stealth game and it definitely can be played uh, you know, suit only or, you know, in a, in a stealth way. Um, however, I, I find Hitman to be something else. Like, it's more like a, um, how do you call it? I think it's, it's, it's almost like Simpson steroids. It's more like a role-playing, right? Like, um, it's stealth in another way. I mean, disguise is a perfectly viable way of, traversal in hitman and getting into places that you otherwise wouldn't it's not like you have to like uh, uh, spin the cell go into vents and crawl into corridors and whatnot right. to, to to get get in there you can just like uh, you know just just walk straight in there if you have the uh, sheik's uh, outfit or whatever uh, uh, police out, outfit or, or whatnot right so i think i think uh, there's there's definitely stealth in there but i think it's like a, as an action adventure um puzzle game, role-playing game in, in, in yeah. some ways. I think, I think Hitman is a bit different. Um, and, uh, you know, I would like to say special like that. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different offer and experience than, than those classical um, stealth games. So, uh, um, oh, go ahead, sorry. And, and, I, and I think, you know, I th you know besides this, this disguise gameplay uh, and the simulation of life in these in the sandboxes and locations that we that we uh, that we create, I think we are also thinking more broadly about the Asian fantasy. Uh, I mean, of course, in context with uh, 007 now as well. So I think we identify ourselves as you know on that part of the creations we do as as you know we, you know I, I think. We pretty much own the Asian fantasy in, in, in gaming right now. And uh, I think that's what we want to um, identify ourselves with first and foremost. But, uh, but sure, there's, there's, of course, a very viable way of playing stealth gameplay in Hitman uh, if, if that's the way you want to you wanna play the game. So the next question I had for you, uh, I'm, I'm now wondering if I should change because you, you sort of touched on this a, a little bit while ago when you were talking about the, the structure of the studio and the future of the studio with with, uh, in fact, three IPs, three projects. So I was going to ask you, is it fair to say that Hitman 3 is the last new Hitman game for the foreseeable future, given that, A, this was a trilogy, and, B, you have 007 now, but 
it sounds like is is Hitman gonna continue on uh, with with the growth of the studio? Yeah, so I think um, our thinking right now is that Agent Forty Seven deserves a bit of a rest. Like he's he's been busy uh, with yeah. the uh, last <laughs> last last three uh, three games. Um, but I think when that is said, you know, we are incredibly busy with the uh, live uh, live beats, uh, live elements, uh, supporting the world of assassination, as we called all three call all three games. Um, you know, for almost five years now, we've been um, releasing something new every week for our communities ever since we launched Hitman One, and we'll keep doing that moving forward. Um, and I believe there will be, you know, this is not the end of Agent 47. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that, like, Hitman is an absolutely, you know, as we talked about before, it's, it's also synonymous, synonymous with IO. It's a, it's a very beloved franchise of ours. And, of course, Hitman will, will continue. And Agent 47, maybe it's going to take a bit of a rest. Um, but that doesn't mean... That we're not working on some cool, cool stuff uh, within the world of assassination. Uh, so there's definitely activity coming, and uh, I'm looking forward to to be to, to talk about that uh, sometime in the future. I do want to ask you a little bit about about James Bond in a minute, but uh, <laughs> I, I, while we're still on the subject of Hitman, what was your reaction when you saw the first Hitman movie for the first time? Honestly, uh, it, it wasn't as bad as the second one. Uh, when I saw that, uh, but uh, I think the first one, uh, I think uh, it's kind of cool seeing it up on screen, right? That part's got to be great. Absolutely, I think the first one was all right. Like it wasn't a, like we would probably have done it in in different way. Like we like we have we have contact, right? We we've been in contact with um, with the producer, and uh, there were you know, a few meetings where we're giving some feedback and giving insights into Agent 47's background at the universe and, and, and whatnot. Um, but, um, you know, it's always cool. There's, like, we're grateful. There, it's cool there's, uh, you know, our, our IPs, characters that we create can transcend into other media and that there are, like, two Hollywood movies. That's that's absolutely great. Um, and I think that, I personally think the first one was uh, was interesting. Um, and I... I uh, but but I think if we were to do it, we, we would we would uh, we would have done it a bit differently. We would have done it, um, you know, less less shooting, dual ball of shooting in the mid, midst of the streets. Uh, so it, it it would have been more close to, I think, what we were doing with the uh, with the trilogy here that we just did. I want to go back to your earlier days of uh, at IO for a second before we fast forward to to 007. Kane and Lynch. Uh, what was it about that series you think that just it seemed like it didn't quite break through the way Hitman did and become kind of a long-term thing? I mean, one thing you can't uh, say about IO is that that you know that we are not cor- uh, courageous with trying uh, out some things that uh, that other studios maybe wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Like uh, I think back then, you know, the YouTube documentary kind of style. Uh, I also believe that it got uh, recognized for. The art direction in it, um, and you know, just just creating these different characters, this quirky characters, like middle aged, uh, with a dad body, like like my my myself here, and uh, and bold guys, you know, it, it's um, I think it was um, like from art and from a creative perspective, I think it was uh, very very interesting, um, but um, obviously uh, it did the first one. Um, I think didn't do 
it, it was it was all right, but it, it didn't it didn't like there were some issues with some of the technical aspects as well. Like I remember things like going cover and whatnot. Uh, and when we did the second one, we went even more into um, you know the art and the expression. Um, and I think maybe looking hindsight, I think a few too many compromise compromises were ma made on the feature side. Um, so it, I, I think it could have been it could have had more variation in in the gameplay. Um, I was working on the multiplayer part on on that. And, Which I remember um, being really unique, wasn't it? Didn't, didn't, it's well, I, I mean, unique mode, right? Well, you see a lot of you see a lot of um, you know what you call PvP PVE modes uh, popping up here and there in diff different games. And um, I I guess that was one of the first PvP PVE uh, games, multiplayer games uh, created back then, uh, because you know it was pretty much about being this um, you know. Uh, these gangsters, uh, thieves, and you were doing these heists and, you know, robbing banks and whatnot. And it was called Fragile Alliance for a reason, because that was kind of the, the core part of the gameplay. But at any point, you could escape, you could shoot, shoot your way through the cops and security and escape with a getaway car altogether. Or you could make go for an individual win and shoot the other ones in the back and get their money and get away. But when you shot the other ones, they would respawn as police cops. And they would have a, a chance to to revenge themselves, right? So, the 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 the, uh, the multiplayer was really really interesting. However, back in the days, we weren't thinking like um, service, right? It was a very boxed product. The, the, right. the campaign was the main thing, and you know, honestly, I think it was a fantastic, creative uh, game. Um, I'm especially proud of Kingless Two, but uh, but it didn't do commercially well, and then the multiplayer was discontinued actually when we changed our mentality was uh, hitman absolution when we introduced something called contracts uh, that was a game mode where you could after completing the game you could go back to these different locations and create your own targets uh, and kill them in certain ways uh, and that would turn into a contract that you could send to another one and challenge your friends you know other people challenge your friends and we were, we were we thought well that would give more longevity and it's fun right we were just playing around with those tools ourselves. We thought it was fun, so we made it a mode in the game. And then and then, uh, more than a year after, there were still 60,000 daily users playing contracts on the Hypnab Solution. And we were like, what's, what's happening here? How come? This is a single-player game, right? What is this? And that was actually the start of our thinking about an expanding universe for Hitman. 2016, right? So it's been it's been eight years coming, you know, eight nine years almost that we that we started development and we changed mentality. I literally myself stood in front of the studio and I was saying like from now on it's going to be first kiss, everlasting love with the community. It's going to be a growing uh, growing uh, experience over time. And um, and I believe what we created with with the world of assassination is you know what we call a single player as a service. Um, uh, I think we created something new in the industry. Yeah, sure seems like it, and it's and it's been working. Um, what was I found something here? Either either I'd love for you to explain this or refute it. Were you, were you working on a game for Microsoft around 2010 that uh, that you know didn't end up seeing the light of day? Yeah, there was something. There was something. Uh, it, yeah, I think I was talking about that earlier at one point we had like four uh, AAA games and several engines uh, on the, on, under the same roof 
and um, there were there was something some activity and some a, a project um, um, working with with Microsoft but I wasn't on the project I was a bit you know further away from that I was uh, working on uh, multiplayer stuff uh, so it was, this was just before I transitioned to Absolution and took over as the lead producer on that. So yeah, but there were definitely some collaboration going on with with Microsoft, and and uh, it took another form and turned into something else, uh, as far as I remember. So all right, Bond, because I gotta I gotta let you go here pretty soon. I don't want to keep you here all day, all night. Uh, put me in the room with you for that James Bond deal. What what was your pitch to MGM? I mean, obviously you can't get into like gameplay specifics at this point, but. It, I read that you spent your the team spent two years building a 007 pitch. So, what how what was the process like with with pitching MGM, the license holder? I mean, the pitch did not take two years. I think the no, pitch okay. itself maybe took um, you know uh, less than a month, uh, uh, but the whole process took uh, took a long time. You know, and the process, you know, it starts with. Um, our partners at, at Delphi, uh, meeting them and uh, look, talking about opportunities and, uh, you know, um, from that to first contact with MGM and, uh, you know, second contact with MGM and then meeting um, the uh, people at E.ON in, uh, in London. Um, so, so the whole process from the first meeting till, you know, a signature and, and you know, starting uh, pre-production, it took, you know, almost two years. Uh, and, you know, it was, um, it was very special. <clears throat> I mean, it hasn't been a Bond game for a while. And I think it's no secret that, um, that, um, you know, pe the people at Eon were maybe you know, waiting for the right opportunity, maybe for the right um, for the right timing, and maybe for the right people to to do another Bond game. And uh, you know, we knew it it would be very difficult, but um, you know, we didn't. I think we had a very humble approach. We were like um, trying to convey, you know, who we are and why we think um, we could do a do a good Bond game. And you know, there were times where you could be cheeky and say, like, it felt like, and it truly felt like uh, that we've been training for this for 20 years doing doing Hitman, right? And as I said before, it's, you know, stealth game is one thing, but it's it's really an, an agent fantasy. <clears throat> and um, uh, many things that you can do in Hitman uh, where it's not just about shooting the first opposition right away, like people are shooting just when they see you. You can actually mingle amongst these uh, your targets and stuff like that you know it's it's not only the the it's a fantasy but it's also the tech and the and the and the game design and our competences i think they were uh, very natural to to creating a a a bond experience that is close to what eon likes to create in their in their movies uh, for example you know classical scenes like uh, bond going into a casino and just sitting right in front of his uh in front of the villain and having uh, a conversation right and uh, you know and takes takes the person down later that it's you know you can do those things in cutscenes in 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 many games uh, or, or other developers but we we can do that in game we can make you feel like bond in those situations in game and uh, so i think 
you know the last 20 years and seems also <clears throat> seems also like the like the universe kind of were, was saying that io might be a good developer of bond because we were seeing all these different articles popping up saying like uh you know hitman is the closest thing to uh to a bond uh, uh fantasy in gaming uh you know you know with with, with those things and with presenting something where we would say like where we believe uh, we could make you feel like Bond, you know, playing the story, playing the game, and feel like Bond. I think those things were 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 spot on. And also, I think, you know, we've been dabbing our feet in, uh, like we we have done things like Ken Lynch and whatnot. But I think in all those years, we, we've also been trying to be different, but also owning a few things, like for example, owning cool, as we called it, like uh, the Asian fantasy on being cool. I think. Um, this suaveness or the the charm of uh, of 007 and you know creating these locations he's a globetrotter as well right so yeah. creating these uh, um, uh, locations uh, and and uh, and this this um, this coolness I think is something that we have a we have a good eye for um, so yeah I mean it was an absolutely fantastic feeling uh, and it was nerve wracking to meet Ian, the family in uh, in London, uh, you know, the, the air is filled with tradition and history. And, uh, you know, we, we um, but it just, you know, we, we try to be humble and we try to convey what we, what we were dreaming of and uh, what we wanted to do and do something that both we would be proud of and hopefully they will be proud of. And uh, it seems like they convinced them. Is there a, so is there a specific designer or developer on the team that, that initially sort of like i'm just where, where was the initial germ of the idea of well, like we should try to do a, a 007 game well i mean uh, we've been we've been i think we've been uh, throwing it around just in fun and, and whatnot uh, over the years right it would be cool and and you, you know we were also like uh, smiling a bit when we were seeing these articles as i as i mentioned before like uh like I should do a uh, should do a bond game and, and and whatnot, right? So, I think I think when it really like started to dawn on us is when um, and here I, I must give credit to um, our partners at Delphi as well <clears throat> is when they were like, you know, why not? Uh, you know, you guys are um, it, it makes sense when people are saying that IO is is the right company. To do uh, to do a, a really really good bond game, and when and we were like all this time you know we were uh, smiling and it was warming our hearts when people were saying that that you know we could do a good bond game and we were like yeah why not let's uh, let's 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 go for it uh, and you know from that point on my uh, my partner uh, Christian Elvedam which is the chief creative officer uh, he um, you know it's it just felt like Again, it sounds so uh, cheesy to say, but it just felt like we've been training for this for for uh, twenty years, right? It just felt so natural to uh, formulate, to articulate what is it, what what is what is style, what is coolness, and what what does Bond do, and what wouldn't he do, uh, you know? And um, you know, we, we we got some new new people on the, on the on on the team as well who are absolutely fantastic from a uh, story pitch point point of view uh and from you know also from really uh understanding the british 
heritage and the history uh, for, on, uh, for for the Bond IP. And uh, you know, we, we have we have a great team. I think again, this is a this is a case of like it's been maybe brewing for some time unknowingly, but it's a case of it's the right timing, it's the right moment, and it's it's the right people uh, that are here in the studio today, uh, both old uh, old veterans and new uh, that um, that um, yeah that came together and and it has happened. Well, you mentioned you alluded to Casino Royale, but you've also said that uh, you won't be featuring like an actor or a likeness in, that we've seen in, you know, on film before in, in your games. Are you guys taking inspiration from the movies, from the books, or or um, a mix of the two? Well, important to mention, like, um, it, this is new for us. I mean, doing a licensed game is, is new, to, new to us. We've only done, we've only done uh, our own original IPs, right? We've created these characters and worlds ourselves from, from scratch. Uh, and um, so I think for us to really embrace this fully and really, as I said before, uh, we, we don't like to work mechanical. Uh, you know, it's not just because it's a big IP or it's a licensed game and, and you know, commercially this is interesting or not. This, it means nothing to us. We've taken a lot of risks, non-commercial risk before. And, uh, and so, so for us, it's about we, we, we need to feel it deep inside. Uh, the passion needs to be there, uh, so uh, it was very important for us that that it wasn't a movie adaptation. So it wasn't a game about you know with right. Daniel Craig or with a specific movie where the story has already be, been told. It's very important that that we could create um, a, a digital bond, a bond for um, the, the the gaming industry, and that's very unique, uh, right? And and a becoming story to that. So it's a, a complete original story. So this 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 felt really really important for us, and and we conveyed that to uh, to Eon, and uh, you know they, they they agreed that the result would probably be better uh, doing doing like the, that. So so I think um, you know it, it, there's always excitement around the new bond. You know it's it's amazing what what they have done with their franchise over the years. Every bond kind of defines a generation. And it's amazing how they kept reinventing themselves over, over so many years. So it's not we're not only inspired by one movie or 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 games and whatnot. We're inspired by the whole whole thing and yeah. just sucking things into us to to make an original bond, an original story, but that is absolutely true and rec recognizable in the values there is in 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 bond. So. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to creating a new uh, you know community that is that the gamers can can call their own. So it's not like a movie uh, community, but it's also a gaming community starting from from you know from from scratch and 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 growing together with uh, with the game we're going to create. Yeah. Now, uh, if you put your CEO hat back on, does it concern you at all that that MGM has put itself up for sale? Like. Is there a situation where a new, if Bond gets sold, MGM sells it, could could a new owner come in and either kill your deal that you have, or or maybe even worse, end up being like a meddling, horrible partner that that won't leave you alone to to do what you guys do best? Well, I certainly don't hope so. Uh, <laughs> right, of course. I mean, um, we don't have more insight to that part than than you than you have. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't know, but um, 
Certainly not. I, I, I well, I hope that uh, if they uh, if they sell MGM, that uh, the whoever new, new owner is going to be, hopefully they will see a great opportunity in this in this get together between IO Interactive and and the Bond franchise, and hopefully they will also see that uh, that this could be a very very special uh, special game. Uh, so uh, you know, if they get sold, a new owner comes in. Hopefully, we'll have a really good relationship to them as well as we have with MGM today. Question I have for you. I, I do want to bring up you know, something that's been talked about a lot in recent years in, in the industry, and that's just the idea of crunch. I, I was really fascinated by your, your description of, of your, your, your new thinking about the studio and not having just 400 cogs in a machine under one roof and, and sort of having these studios with their cultures and having everybody feel valued and 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 a part of the the pro an important part of the process how uh how do you think about as as the you know co-owner ceo of the studio how do you think about crunch and and the idea of uh trying to to balance the needs of the project with with the with the you know the taking care of your team yeah i think um i, I talked about that before uh different interviews about crunch like uh, hitman I, I i mentioned that hitman absolution was was on the way for a long time so it, the whole production lasted seven years and that's why you know max Payne was the really cool stuff but the world kind of moved on while that game was trying to be made and it was because this major overhaul of the technology uh, meanwhile doing a game is you know cannot be recommended uh, and <clears throat> i came on after Ken and Lynch, I took over as a as a executive producer on that uh, just two years before it was launched. And at that point, it was you know the technology was just barely done. It was nowhere there. It, <clears throat> although it has been on the way for five years, it didn't really have any core features. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, core features in place yet. That production was an absolutely. Um, uh, it was it was crazy. Like um, I mean, for me personal, I, I I ran people really hard. I was really hard. We crunched a lot. And I remember personally myself. I uh, for, in two years I had two weekends where I was off both days, or else I would work every day for two years straight, no no vacation. And um, you know, I, I learned I learned a ton from that. Uh, after after that, you know, I went on to. To do R&D, and then I went on to be studio production director. When I turned to be the studio production director, I could actually affect things on how I would like run my productions, run the EPs uh, on the different projects. So I, I I did learn a lot from that. I did learn it's it's not only you know destroying souls, uh, but it's also not an effective way of developing games. Now they today. Um, I'm not saying we're not doing overwork. We do. We do at times, but it's you know it's something that needs to be felt like a like a good clear purpose from a team within within the team, and it's uh, it needs to be in a shorter periods than these long uh, uh, long crunch periods. Um, I mean, we are measuring everything with something called Pecan uh, anonymously, and we have done that for a long time, also before introducing this tool Pecan and. And we have um, a great like feedback on work-life balance. I think we're doing some good things now. I think we learned a ton from our past. Um, and um, you know, while 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 in every project-based 
uh, work, there will be some times where we have to be more flexible in one way or the other, right? We are also not a company that is, uh, you know, where you have a punch card and you need to meet at eight or whatever, right? If you go to the dentist and whatnot, you are absolutely, nobody would ask you where, where you have been, right? So there's a lot of flexibility falling back. And I think people are, you know, at least the feedback we're getting is very positive and, and seems like we found a really, really good good balance there. And we had to because, you know, also after absolution, um, when when we changed mentality and culture around being, you know, doing a marathon, doing a game that's going to be more of a marathon than just just a sprint, right? Going from box product thinking to a service, uh, it 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 absolutely affects everything. It also affects the way you work, and you can't just say, well, it's just it's just another another you know few months and then it's out. They don't have to think about it. the whole studio can go home for half a year or something. That 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 doesn't go when you work uh, uh, and you run a marathon. So it was also about keeping keeping our energy and keeping people's front lobes fresh, right? And uh, of course, also very important as we get uh, older and wiser, not to make people estranged from their uh, loved ones and families at home. And these things are extremely important. I think it's also part of the Scandinavian mentality. And as I talked about, um, you know, other studios locations under IO in the future, um, that culture, that thinking, those values uh, with the with the human humans in, in in front and center is something that will will uh, spread and carry on. Ken Abrick, thank you so much. The CEO, co-owner of IO Interactive. Uh, many congratulations to you and your team on the well-deserved success of Hitman Three. We've got 007, possibly as a trilogy. You've alluded to to look forward to there, and sounds like maybe even a third project. Uh, might be waiting in the wings as time goes on. Uh, Hakan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. For more from the best, brightest, and most interesting minds in the games industry, check back every month or so for a new episode of IGN Unfiltered. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.